Welcome to this Food Thing podcast. This is the place where we talk about our relationship with food, whether it is friend or foe, easy or less so, and how it affects our behavior. Here's today's episode. Hi, welcome back to Love This Food Thing podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by an old friend, an old mate, Chrissy Sunt. Chrissy is the founder and director of Silver Linings Wellbeing, which offers holistic retreats around the world alongside an anywhere, anytime digital platform. Chrissy trained as a ballet dancer. Her professional career was cut short by an ankle injury. In the spirit of Silver Linings, this ending was in fact a new beginning and led her to discover and train in the Pilates method. Add choreography, bar and yoga to the list and you have some idea of her talents. Chrissy's a lot like an athlete, a movement junkie and the kind of inspiring teacher who makes everything look easy when it isn't. She's currently developing her own signature movement discipline called Silver Linings Technique or The Silver Linings Technique. Chrissy, what a, man, what a long intro. Welcome to Love Podcast. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. Well, it's lovely. I've just been telling Chrissy that because of all our refurb stuff continues, I'm currently set up on an ironing board and a camping chair. <laughs> I'm speaking into the microphone like a little gnome. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a great, it's a great vision. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's all happening here. So before I start just wittering on about myself, yes, welcome to the podcast. And yeah, let's start. How would you describe your relationship with food? Would you describe it as a friend or a foe? Oh, um, both either. Uh, it really depends on the day. Um, my family had a really interesting approach to food, probably my father really. So my father was a sort of big yogi and, and back in the 70s decided to make us all vegetarian. So my sort of growing up was spent explaining and apologizing for the kind of <laughs> food that we needed to eat. Um, later, obviously, going off into professional dance training, that relationship changed again. Um, initially, often that we just didn't have enough time to eat or that I, as a little vegetarian ballet dancer, didn't get enough food to eat. And later that, obviously, food was almost the enemy. It was discouraged. It was... Um, you know, very much part of trying to have this perfect aesthetic. Um, and I can get into more detail on that for sure. But I think over time, having rebuilt my body after injury, rebuilt my relationship with my body and indeed with what I fuel my body with, I land now at a place where I love food. I love good food. I hope I've achieved balance. And I think that switching to becoming a pescatarian in my 20s was a big leap. I uh, I was fortunate enough to travel uh, working as a choreographer all over the world, but particularly to Japan. And that's where it just felt perfectly natural to start eating some lovely fish and sushi. And that really changed my body. So I, um, I've stuck with it. And as a, as you say, nearly athlete, as somebody who trains and works with my body all the time, who needs to take care of it, what I put in, that fuel has become really really important to me so good food is okay is key amazing let's just say just for clarification purposes because there's a debate about good food bad food clean food yeah. not oh. such clean food when you say good <laughs> food i know and i'm telling all our listeners that you mean nutritious probably yeah. organic um spray free pesticide free 
vegetables and fruit, yes. etc., and stuff that feeds your body and nourishes your body. That's what we mean here by good food. Yes. Can very I important, just very important you, distinction to make? And yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think I think when I say good, I mean if it can be organic, great. But if it can't, no worries. But seasonal, yeah. fresh, mm. nutritious, broad as possible. Yeah, just just all those things. Yeah. Can I go back to what you said? Fascinating about your dad. Um, <laughs> I think I knew. I think we've had a conversation before. I think I knew that he was a staunch vegetarian in the 70s. Mm -hmm. When you said that you were apologising for the food, yeah. do you mean that you were apologising because no one was a vegetarian and when you were, were out and about, you were like, I'm so sorry, but I need to eat that tree and um, <laughs> it's just, yeah. just a hunk of meat yes, on I the need, table. I, I need some leaves. Yeah, I mean, you know, but nowadays it's just so much more possible and easy to be a vegan, a vegetarian, to be what we call plant-based, yeah. no longer has that sort of eyebrow lift. But, you know, back in the 80s when I was little, we were a weird Norwegian family living in this mad old house. We were some <laughs> of the forerunners of the organic farming movement. So my dad took over a farm with absolutely no background in farming um, and spent sort of seven years making this farm into a fully certified organic farm with the Soil Association and, you know, all these quite unusual things. So when I say apologise, we would probably just quite an odd family. So inviting us to dinner anywhere, you know, was, was just, I see, I see. Yeah, interesting. What, <laughs> but what a what a guy, you know, to have no yeah. no knowledge or experience, and then what a fantastic yeah. role model in many ways. In in some ways, in other ways, I would now look back at it and describe some of his food stuff as sort of orthorexia perhaps uh, worse so very controlling around food and these sort of right. mad stints you know a bit like lord byron you know he'd suddenly only eat potatoes or only you know we drank liters of carrot juice at one point and i'm sure we all went a bit orange and you know just these quite <laughs> sort of quite um extreme food oh, approaches okay. that i think probably fed into my childhood matrix and therefore to back to your question that relationship with food what's normal what's not is obviously shaped a lot by our early experiences and family time i understand that before we move on where was your mum in all of this and <laughs> did you yeah um, cooking, <laughs> cooking, cooking, and like juicing, crazy. juicing, juicing like yes, exactly. Well, she <laughs> bless her. Um, my mother was so good. She went off and really educated herself. You know, again, early on in the vegetarian movement, she went off to the vegetarian society. She'll tell stories about these two ladies who taught her her early sort of vegetarian cuisine and how to create a balanced diet. She was also absolutely vehemently sort of pro us having dairy and eggs because she just uh. wouldn't, didn't want myself and my brother and sister to grow up without that, just thinking about our bones and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So so basically my poor mother was leaning over a hot agar for most of my childhood, it seems, um, trying to cook from scratch what now would be widely easily available in a in a you know in a supermarket but back in the day it just wasn't so she just yeah she would cooked and cooked and cooked bless her which for which I'm eternally grateful wow do you remember how you felt about food do you remember if mm. you felt energized by it do you remember if you felt entranced by it how it was yeah. to not be eating food that maybe 
kids at school were eating. Yeah. Do you remember uh, that well, from, from school when you were food, school, school food was just revolting. Well, I mean, that it is just, true, you know, yeah. I mean, it, something called pink poison stays in my memory and it was that so blamange. disgusting. It was some sort of weird pink blancmange, but it was so disgusting. You just sort of wouldn't eat it. And quite a lot of the time I'd be placed next to a teacher because I had special food and a lot uh. of it just wasn't very nice. So, and being sort of forced to eat it, I went to this rather strange Catholic school when I was very little with a, a nun who would sort of prod a fork into your back and say the fork is a pick not a shovel dear and make you make you eat this disgusting food sister Patrick I mean she was sort of a battle axe with a fork um if that's not a cross <laughs> no 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 you yeah. can be a battle axe with a fork you can be a battle axe with a fork yeah you especially are, well, she, was, she, she definitely was a battle axe with a fork so 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 in answer to your question I think it's a really mixed bag I think some of it I just you know I loved good things I loved good things to eat that tasted lovely and lots of you know Ita- discovering Italian food mm. as a vegetarian child wow yeah, you know, delicious yeah, yeah. oh my yeah. gosh but inevitably with hindsight um and and now, and now as a mum I would look back and say gosh the amount of dairy and carbohydrates going in yes lots of vegetables but probably not quite as balanced as it could have been um can yeah. I can I ask you a serious question did you feel mm. very controlled by your dad or were you happy to kind of jump on board um I I think that that sense of having been controlled by him came later I think okay. it, I had to sort of when yeah. I unpacked some of this stuff uh through therapy much much later on in my life I I sort of realized that a lot of that control and the control he sort of exerted over our family um, ha- had felt quite controlling and actually probably wasn't very healthy overall. Although I, I still think he was in many ways, you know, very forward thinking when it comes yeah. to the organic movement and this concern for our environment. Perhaps his concern for his individual children wasn't quite as healthy as it could have been. Okay. And I think I- parents have a huge effect, do they not? You know, things that they of say will stick. I think it's fascinating as well because it's not just his theme, it will have been his parents' themes and yeah. his grand and great grandparents that, that gets passed down, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I'm also thinking, I'm also struck by um the kind of hyper focus on vegetarianism on, on particular foods. Mm. And so, that kind of constraining the constraints of that, and then you go and train to be a ballerina. <laughs> and I know that you went to ballet school when you were young, and it's almost like the perfect toolkit for you to go. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It's all it's all preset. All those limitations or limiting thoughts around food are already there. So, yeah. not, but also yes. that ability just to get on with it with, a, yeah. with only yeah. a, small, a small little platter on the table. And I mean, metaphorically, yeah. Yeah. it's like, well, this is what you've got. And now you've got That's to make something got. massive Off out of this small amount. Off you go. Yeah, Off exactly. you go. Off you go, darling. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yes, you're right. I probably haven't ever thought about it like that. But yeah, that's absolutely correct. And, so um, yes, how and old were you? Now you're going to go to ballet school. Uh, I was 10 years old when I went into professional training and that meant boarding school uh, ballet class and other dance classes every day alongside all of your normal academic classes and prep and all the other things that you've got to get done Mm. Um, and that 
schooling, you know, it's quite specific. They, you know, 500 children auditioned to get in. I think we were 25 girls and about 16 boys. And every year they audition out a certain number who may not be meeting whatever need, whether that's physical or it might be their their technical development. You know, there's any number of reasons. So by the time we got to our GCSE years, there were only eight girls and eight boys remaining in my year um so you lose dear friends you lose you know all that sort of stuff um and that's that's tough it's it's yeah it's a very shaping environment it that's I mean they do a similar thing at drama school don't they and and some well some do some don't but it's the that pressure is just in it's an insane pressure isn't it Mm. but also Mm. It's an insane business, an industry. So yeah. it does build yeah. what, what, what you need. You know, if you can only handle it nor- then. Yeah, naught point naught 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 percent are actually ever going to make it onto the stage at the Royal Opera House, and that is just the deal. And yeah. part of and, and part of that training is to have the resilience and the 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 will to be in that tiny percentage of people. Yeah. Who who, who can have a career in in such a such a demanding art form. Yeah. So so you're at ballet school well you're at school yeah so yeah. what's food like there is it the same as at home but just pretty pretty bad actually um and and I know that now this has changed and I'm happy to say that when I have gone back to my school and been to in other training environments I've been privileged to work at a, a few other ballet schools and 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 I do see that things have changed and a lot of the um, knowledge that's been built up in the sort of sports arena, you know, these sort of tennis academies, these sorts of things, those models yeah. have been brought across. But back in the day, it was pretty basic. And I mean, you know, because you were also then sometimes, let's say, ballet classes at two o'clock and your lunch is at one fifteen. well, you know, I'd sort of eat a small cube of cheese and a bit of salad and a packet of crackers, I mean, meaning two crackers in a packet, right. and run off and start warming up because I needed to be ready and on point, literally and metaphorically, yeah, yeah. Um, and ready to go. And and so that was not unusual in your day. And then, you know, just some of the food was just obviously horrible. I mean, for the boys, they would probably eat chips all day and not have it noticed. But, you know, definitely amongst the girls at a pretty young age, we were being quite controlled and controlling about the food going in. How did you feel about your, so you went at 10, so how did mm. you feel about your body as it was changing and you were maturing and entering into yeah. adolescence? Because I imagine that's a massive deal because... Very hard, yeah. You can't it's, develop, can you? Well, you, you can't develop. And, and of course, the minute you start developing, you sort of get fearful because you're not, you know, you don't look like a, a sort of 12-year-old boy anymore. Yeah. Um, and, you know, yes, the boobs and the bum and the things. Yeah, absolutely. yeah. It's all, and it's all happening very much under the gaze of these teachers and directors yes. and things like that, which, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm sad to say that they they weren't very good, you know, at one point, and, and, and I don't tell this as a horror story, but it, de- it definitely has shaped me. You know, the director of the school, who's also a dame of our, our great country, mm-hmm. um, told me to go and have a boob job. No, you know, and I and and I was under sixteen and on my own in a room, you know, being told this with uh, another member of staff present, and you're there, they're going, you know, this, this isn't, <laughs> gosh, yeah, you just you just can't do that. And actually, when I when I was thinking about what we might discuss today, I yeah I remembered, I remembered this dreadful little diary that I kept, and I had a very 
particular teacher this year and a friend of mine when I was talking to her about what we were doing today she said oh yes I think it really started there and I had a diary and the only thing I wrote in my diary every day was what I'd eaten which wasn't very much and what my teacher had said to me in ballet class wow those are the two things that I noted for an entire academic year isn't that interesting yeah. connected to what we were talking mm. about having a tiny little metaphorical platter yeah. on your table you've yeah. got two things to focus on yeah but uh, I mean the upside is that you have incredible focus and tenacity yeah. um I used to obsessively write about calories in my yeah. diaries as well yeah and it's meals so and yeah obsessive, not much else it? No, yeah. no. You, you know, think you might be invited on some radio programs to, 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 <laughs> to, to, to talk, talk about, about your diary. Little like, diary yeah. No, no, no. I think it's the only time I've kept a diary, which is which is <laughs> awful. And, and 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 what I would also say, you know, on the on the flip side, and you rightly pointed out, you know, it's given me an, a long and and very rich and varied career because I have all these physical and mental skills that came out of that early training. So I'm not ungrateful. You know, I've performed on enormous stages and been allowed to do things that very few people are allowed to do and as as I say go on and study and find other things easy relative you know to 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 how other people coming into training in Pilates or yoga or bar might find it you know not 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 challenging for me so I'm very grateful at the same time but I do Mm. now with hindsight go oh actually yeah those things not healthy they were not good that wasn't setting me up for the most balance yes that being grateful and um seeing the and sorry but seeing the silver lining in your situation (laughs) always comes yeah comes with uh, a lot of unpacking as you said Mm. and being very conscious before we take a quick break yeah I just want to posit that we're going to go back to kind of 16, 17 at ballet school and how you coped when you left. Because I've talked to lots of dancers, Chrissy, and Mm. the whole body image thing and the whole dysmorphic thing um, is fascinating. Anyway, we'll be back in a moment. Hi, welcome back to Love This Food Thing podcast. I'm here with Chrissy, and I just said to Chrissy in the break that I could talk to her for days. I love talking to you, Chrissy. <laughs> Jabbering on. <laughs> Jabbering I love, a good, I love on. a good, I love a good natter. So yeah, yeah, we, yeah if everyone could just tune in for the next Brilliant. five hours. Yeah, yeah, we have a chat. That would be great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness. So where did we get to? We got to your at ballet school. Let's yeah. go to sixteen, seventeen. Yeah. Did you leave at eighteen and start dancing professionally immediately? did you dance professionally when you were there yeah so I was I was one of the lucky ones I suppose I was often chosen to sort of dance with the company while I was still in the school uh and that meant um that I was sort of knee deep in A levels not that we were paying a whole lot of attention to those exams um and traveling up to Birmingham or into Covent Garden to do the different performances and then back to a desk to sort of take exams. I mean, it was, again, with hindsight, I mean, absolutely mad. Um, But, but I was, I felt very fortunate and it meant that really during my final year at school, I was dancing a lot on a professional stage or professional stages. And, um, 
and was sort of given the opportunity to take on uh, a proper contract, which are they were rare, they remain rare. Um, yeah. And but but then struggling also with injury, and dare I say, also struggling with my parents' divorce. So I had right. this sort of perfect storm of um, changing body. Uh, changing family situation, huge amounts of pressure to look and be a certain way as we were then sort of going into auditioning. I auditioned all over Europe for different ballet companies, which was such an exciting thing to do, you know, go off into railing at sort of 17 years old with your point shoes in your bag is great and what a lovely life experience. But, but, massive 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 pressure to look and be a certain way and at the time I lived with these three other girls in this very dark little flat and the three of them were all suffering with various levels of uh, eating disorder and all they lived on was jelly so they would have these low fat jellies in the fridge there'd be three separate bowls and they would each sort of go into the into the fridge and have a have a spoon jelly oh gosh um and in a sort of in a sort of um, reaction to that, I would sort of go off and buy pasta and cook it and eat it in a sort of quite uh, reactionary sort of way, but knowing that also that wasn't the right fuel really for me and then not feeling good on it, not actually feeling great and sort of being being earmarked by my teachers to sort of have to go in and do early morning cardio because I weighed a certain amount and bear in mind they're doing yeah they were doing weigh-ins at the beginning of every term they would print a list of those weights and 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 you know your your percentage fat etc all the different stats and then you know the sort of certain third of the class would then be told you've got to be in at 7 a.m to sort of do circuit training that's before your eight nine hours of dancing that day maybe you're also going off to do a performance in the evening so just i mean yeah wow exhausting and mad so i imagine (laughs) that you well you're young and you're resilient but you're also exhausted how did it make you feel emotionally did you want, were you like, I'll show you, I'll show you, I, I'm much better than, yeah, than I, you can well, ever believe? Yeah. yeah, probably. I mean, I think, I think you know, as I say, the home situation wasn't great yeah, and yeah. not very supportive because no one was really listening to what I might be going through. Um, mm. And so that wasn't somewhere that you could sort of go and relax and kind of go, okay, I just, I can, I can sort of down tools for a minute. So it, it sort of was, I think, probably slightly firefighting on every single front, which was, which was exhausting. Okay. Um, and ultimately probably left me somewhere not very well. And then I got injured. And of course, you could say all of that happened because I was exhausted. So yeah, you know, and, and, and then didn't heal properly and probably wasn't properly supported through that process. Because I was so determined to show that I was, you know, professional and injury wasn't going to get me down. And, you know, I sort of hurt my ankle and strapped it up and was back on point in three days. And these sort of really kind of, you know, my Viking spirit showed itself in droves, but actually probably misdirected. <laughs> and 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 where the sort of fuel and food aspect was concerned, really, really uh just just mad you know one day is sort of a full meal and one day nothing or sort of some orange juice you know I mean nutty that's that's Um, very that's difficult to yeah it's difficult to reintegrate yourself um into uh, some kind of uh regular eating plan I'm so I I don't need to say we don't need to talk more about food then because it's clearly (laughs) very challenging for you 
Well, and, yes, I mean, living, living with the characters that I did as well, I think I sort of yeah. saw firsthand. With the Jelly Sisters? Happening. The Jelly Sisters, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, bear in mind, one of them went on to become a principal dancer, still is a principal dancer for the Royal Ballet. Wow. Um, so that kind of behaviour was rewarded. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's so interesting. that was the other messaging going on, you know. So, so oh, look, you know, she's skin and bone. I mean, the poor girl. Was yeah, sort of really and and also well. it's that, it's that thing of like, you know, how much do you want it? If you want it, will you? It's that adage of like mm. you'll you'll die for it, you know. And it's well, always about yeah. you and and how much you want something. And and if it's not yeah. working, it's because something's deficient within you. Yeah, so absolutely. Which is just uh, well, an insane pressure. Awful. Yeah, awful. And obviously, the word that's that's. That, that that's common, I think, probably to all of your interviews, but that that rises here is perfectionism, and yeah, and it's, you know, it, I, yeah, it's. I'm, I, I guess, I've always been it, but but it was definitely nuanced by the sort of ballet school experience, and and particularly at that point at which you're sort of under intense pressure, it's that mad, mad, mad rush for perfectionism, both of body and technique and everything else. And I think that's very uh, particular to ballet because mm. it is you have to be perfect in so yeah. many ways your fingernails yeah. have got to be pointing in the right <laughs> I mean, direction yeah haven't everything they? yes it's a line of energy everything. through your fingernails and it's just everything. extraordinary so yeah. you have your injury i imagine mm-hmm. you were devastated mm-hmm. obviously yeah. it was a blessing in disguise uh, so, in uh, in so many ways yeah in so many yes. ways but probably yes. not at the time it was probably no. was the worst thing that no. could have ever happened in your life yeah yeah, yeah, I mean, I say that. that I, I think I think there was an element of relief, oh. inevitably, because you're sort of slightly taken off the the the, the, the fast train to wherever you're going. Um, I yeah. got the most amazing opportunity to stop, go to university, meet wonderful friends who remain my friends, strong group of friends till now. Yeah, um, I, of course, at times was just heartbroken and wondered what on earth had happened um and I the sort of way through was I suppose that I got to continue my work as a choreographer so I choreographed anything and everything anyone would give me hair shows terrible fashion shows dreadful musicals you name it I did it um were you but dancing? in a way, it was a, a, yeah. Sometimes, uh, right. famously, I danced the the the, the monkey in cabaret um, <laughs> in a tutu and my point shoes. Got them back on. Uh, lots of stuff like that. So, and great fun. And of course, you know, being with normal people. I mean, that's a dreadful word to use, but I'm going to use it. Um, yeah, you meant use it. that lovely, <laughs> lovely things like going to a pub or having some chips were not somehow some kind of you know dreadful thing to do um and they just had no background with where I had come from so of course it's just a blank canvas but how did you can I sorry can Mm. I just interrupt there how did you deal with that switch because it sounds like it was easy for you it wasn't I mean it it, yeah it it was it what did I do I suppose I just sort of went with it but probably ate like all students ate really badly Mm. Um, and then would struggle, you know, and occasionally there'd be this, and not occasionally, I mean, probably often this internal struggle, which no one else, it felt understood because they hadn't come from that background. They hadn't got that kind of perfectionist streak. Right. That frankly runs 
through me and probably always will, you know, but I've come to a point of acceptance for that. But, but yeah. It, yeah, there were definitely moments of real kind of deep sorrow for this career that I'd left, but also real struggle with how I looked and how yeah. I felt about that, you know, putting on weight as a dancer, even then as an ex-dancer, challenging, really unsettling, not, not healthy. Not Very healthy. unsettling. And also, mm. how did you wean yourself off that amount of exercise? Well, yeah, I mean, I suppose it was, I actually did lots of, lots of different things. I rode for my college. I mean, the worst quad of four girls ever. You rode or you rode a horse? You rode I rode a boat. I rode a boat. I, boat. I rode a boat. No, no, I, I, I can't, no, I didn't ride a horse. Um, I rode a boat <laughs> for my college, which uh, which was fine. I refused to be a cox. I said, absolutely not. I'm not going to sit okay. there and steer. I'm going to row a boat. Actually got the most amazing six pack. It was great. Um <laughs> But of course, we had to run in the morning, and I run like I run like sort of Bambi on ice. It's just yeah. awful. So I became famous for this dreadful girl who couldn't run, yeah. ran like a duck, <laughs> and then <laughs> rode with this four, these other three girls, one of whom couldn't reverse her oar. So okay. she we basically got sacked because she was just so terrible, um, and and <laughs> and that was the end of my boating career. But it could have been great. But been that's great. rowing is hardcore exercise, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you yeah it is. So. It. Yeah, you I kind it. of I swapped that out, um, okay. and that was kind of fun. And then, yeah, did loads of these sort of funny musicals and funny hair shows, and sort of danced around a bit, doing lots of other activities other than studying what I should have been studying. Um, how did? How did? Um, okay, I'm just sorry to cut, cut across yeah. you there. I do it all Not the time. All. How did you? How did your relationship with your body change when you started the Pilates method? started rehabilitating that really was a kind of salvation I think I really needed something that was going to help me back on track physically because as you rightly say I'd gone through this incredible training kind of stopped yeah and had got myself to a place where I probably didn't like my body very much and so going back in and first picking back up Pilates because I'd always done it and then sort of doing my full certification I, my first certification was this mad studio up in North London, which, frankly, I did the whole thing and then felt like a bit of a charlatan and that it wasn't the classical method as I later came to discover it. And yeah. I think at the point where we met, I was mm. just completing my second full apparatus training, the full 600, 900 hours, whatever it is, um, but very much grounded in the full classical apparatus system, which I, which remains my, probably my, my, my sort of core of my teaching. Um, Do you, you did you, when you're dancing Mm. and when you're training and and performing as a ballet dancer, are you in your body? Hmm. The best moments, I would say, and obviously this is personal, I can't answer for every dancer, but I can answer for myself. Um, the best moments often feel quite out of body. Ah. Um, and I'm, I don't know whether you've experienced this as an actress, but you, you, those moments where technique and performance and artistry and music meet are the most incredible moments of your life. And they go in a flash and they feel like you were out of body. The rest of the time, it's a pretty long slog in your body, <laughs> if I'm honest. Yeah. So, you know, so, it's, it's muscular, it's visceral, it's spatial, it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's, it's sweaty. You know, yeah. everyone thinks of ballet as this beautiful, elegant 
thing and actually it's full of effort we make it look effortless but it is effortful it is really 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 physically demanding as demanding as any olympic sport yet we put on this veneer of of effortlessness of perfection and of course yeah that has its own thing because of course then we tend to carry that over i think into our real lives and so we don't share perhaps when we're really the internal voices are going and the perfectionism is at its peak and things are hard we don't voice it because we're taught to make it look effortless i'm absolutely of course of course and um yeah, no, we're not going to go down that route because we're distracted. <laughs> what I'm interested in is then when you started the Pilates method, yeah, you were in your body in a very different mm. way, inhabiting yourself and your physical mm. self in a very different way. Yeah, yeah. So I imagine and, that and, is and also- learning to teach others. Yeah, which 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 is really rewarding as well. So being back in my body, but in a really healthy, um, kind of kind of nurturing way. Right. Rather than a punishing way, is now the play, the space I inhabit happily all the time. I know um, that, and yeah. that I try to encourage others towards, because loving your body and loving what it can do in and seeing what it might be able to do without that being something madly gymnastic, just little incremental changes and working with how you feel that day and what the different shifts are like and, you know, just kind of working your way into that on a daily basis is sort of what I do for myself. And as I say, what I do with others. Can you, this is such a curveball. <laughs> Can you sum up what movement means to you? Uh, well, I think you said it in your introduction. I'm a movement junkie. Movement is movement is life. Movement is breath. Movement is what our bodies were designed to do. Right. It's right. wonderful. It's magical, yeah. actually. It's brilliant. What would you say to someone who who doesn't move very much? Where would you move start? More. <laughs> move, move more. Move more. Uh, in the words of Joe Pilates, movement heals. You know, if we we're going to be welderly, we're going to live to a great age. Our generation, aren't we? And generations to come will live longer. Yet we hope mm. we need to move more. We sit with these devices. They're 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 rotters. We need to get rid of them. Um, we need to move more. We need to move more together. You know, dancing now is to me such a joy. So dance more, whether that's in your kitchen or anywhere. I don't mind where you do it. But um, yeah, move more. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And welcome back to Love This Feeding Podcast. I'm here with Chrissy. And we just were speaking about what movement meant to Chrissy and what she, how she would advise someone if they are not moving very much. And she just said, move more which seemed like a perfect place to stop. I would like to ask you about, well, let's talk about your work mm-hmm. and your mission with your work. <laughs> because I know that yeah. your company is relatively new, sort of the last yeah. three or four years. That's right. And I think also you'd like to talk about motherhood, wouldn't you? Because I imagine the challenge is to, well, is always to parent in, in the great ways that you were given by your parents and also to parent different, differently in the ways that didn't serve you. And it's not always easy, is it? And you have a daughter. So I do. Yeah. I so do. Well, actually, I have th- I have three. I have three stepdaughters. You do. You one, have three. One little one. So I'm a yes. I'm an official step monster. Of course, you are. You're a step um, monster. So can, can, we talk, <laughs> can we talk about that? And do you do yeah. you feed them? Do you cook for them? I do. I, do you- I, I, I I I have 
a good relationship with them and one that obviously took a while to build. Um, they are, well, one is now 19, the other two are in their mid twenties. Okay. One of them in particular has really struggled with her own body um, mm-hmm. and and an eating disorder that was pretty serious. And, and, and I hope, or well, happily, I was here to guide my husband through that and to be as supportive as I could. But of course, the, the uh, stepmother relationship is a different one from yeah. being a natural mother. So you have to kind of step gently, carefully into that. Um, but I can say that that resolved itself really, really well. And that um, she, like me, oddly enough, without me pushing her at all, decided to take a sort of yogic training route as well and and to really find peace with her body in Amazing. that way. And I was really Amazing. proud to see that. I think it's just, yeah, just fantastic. Um, and in terms of little one, yeah, you're right. We, we, you know, you heard a little bit about my, my crazy vegetarian background and sort of parents involvement with food. And, and I think I'm so conscious of it. I'm, I'm trying not to be hyper-conscious of it. Um, my little one thus far has a really balanced I think approach and you know probably doesn't love all the school food but that's okay um but it's but it's really important to me that I try to change the dialogue around how she views her body and food going forward um and I see that just as a huge duty really Mm. because I think my mother love her I mean she was cooking away gosh but I don't think she was very good at, at, at you know helping my sister and I they they just didn't take the time to understand the illness that is any kind of eating disorder. Um, yeah. Yeah. So is your daughter, little one, is she going to dance? Mm. Does she dance? Oh, it's such a, you know, it's one of those questions people always ask. Um, she does dance, but, and you know, in the village hall kind of thing, um, yeah. which is all fine. And obviously in the kitchen with me, and that's great. I think in terms of a professional career, um, I would always say that you'd want to know that they were head and shoulders above the competition to actually put her through that kind of training. Uh, as I say, I think the training methods and all those schools have improved beyond recognition really from my time in terms of how they support their students and take a much healthier view. But you really do want them to be successful. I think particularly because I was relatively successful if your child didn't achieve that, they would feel like they'd failed and that would be a dreadful road. So yeah. I think I think I'd be very, very careful of her doing that. But at the same time, I'm really, as I say, very conscious and grateful for everything I got from my training. And so I don't shy away from the idea of her pursuing something to a really high level because I've had such joy out of, yes, that perfectionism can can be negative, but there's also so much to be said for the focus, drive and ability that comes with pursuing something to a really high level. Yeah, I think we're all too keen these days to sort of assume someone's going to be brilliant, you know, in two seconds, you know, Britain's got talent type thing. And I mean, sure. you, know, you sure. have to work for yeah. something yeah. if you want to be good at it. You have to practice. Yeah, you do. You actually yeah. do. And I think that's something that, that's got a bit lost because everyone's brilliant at everything, you know, and that's, that's, yeah. that's great. But yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think there's something in that. Okay. I have a couple of friends. They're both actors. They're both very yeah. successful actors. And uh, oh, he's a director now. And uh-huh. they just applaud themselves because neither, I think the, the daughter at one point was talking about wanting to become an actress. 
Right. And they were just, the son hasn't. And they're like, haven't we done well? He doesn't want to come into the industry. <laughs> and, and with the daughter, yeah. they're kind of like, yeah, I don't think she does. Great. We've done a really good Brilliant. job, you know, because it was just punishing. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think I'd probably celebrate it if she became, yeah, a neuroscientist or something. <laughs> something really, something really, really geeky where I won't understand the first thing that's going on but that the, yeah maybe that's maybe that's success I don't know I think success is a well-rounded happy absolutely person but that's absolutely. yeah that's, that's my goal that's brilliant talk to yeah. me talk to me about um silver linings well-being and talk to yeah. me about the technique you're developing and sure why you set it up and what your mission is so silver linings really came out of I, I've, I've been a happy visitor to a beautiful place in the Bahamas that's owned by some friends of mine Mm. um I'd been a visitor for 15 years I suppose and and every time I went I would teach whatever yoga pilates something on this beautiful sun-drenched deck yeah and it occurred to me that I could formalize this maybe make a business out of it and at the same time I was seeing my clients particularly in London in the sort of rat race constantly running around and really working hard at their wellness you know but not seeing results Mm-hmm. And so finding a way to create a transformative experience, a wellness experience in a place that's so magical was kind of where I started. And that very much is a holistic retreat built on four key pillars from my perspective, key pillars, which are mindful movement, rest and recovery, sleep and nutrition. Mm-hmm. I mentioned nutrition last. Um, mindful yeah. movement to me is is basically where I come in. So that's all those sort of non-faddy disciplines that really work. Yeah. Yoga, Pilates, bar, they are really grounded, proper techniques. We're not suddenly fusing kettlebells and Pilates or whatever. You know, I just don't believe in it. Um, okay. so, so really core techniques. And then coupled with being in a beautiful place, so taking the moment to – walk on the beach or lie in a hammock um, and have lovely spa treatments and such. Um, sleep, obviously, is a biggie, and we yeah. all know that we probably don't sleep enough or well enough, and uh, it's something that comes up with my clients all the time, and I think it really is something a lot of people struggle with. So just finding a space to sleep and not be constantly with your phone and being pinged in the night and what have you mm-hmm. is important. And finally, nutrition. Obviously, we talked a bit at the beginning about what does good food mean? Well, good food is, in this case, coming from the farm, literally next door to the hotel. It's coming out of the sea if you do eat fish and it's all cooked on site from scratch. I love that feeling in your body when you've not eaten anything that's been pre-made two weeks two weeks there and your skin glows and you feel you feel that 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 kind of sense of well-being that is really hard to put your finger on but it's not the absence of illness it's the feeling of glowing wellness and that was the thing I was trying to tap into Oh, that's interesting. Um, and also and, being and, part of nature. Go on. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. there. I'm I mean, there. The I'm on the beach. Place. Yes, I'm, on, I'm the beach. on this beach. I feel the sand under my feet. I feel the sun on my skin. I yeah. feel these things. I'm walking without my phone and all my other cares and concerns. I'm just going to let those fall away for a minute and allow the mind to still a little bit and and clear. Um, so I guess I was basically taking people to my happy place. Well, that's the short answer. Yeah. And And then then of course, COVID, COVID struck and we, we, like everybody else, we sort of had to go digital, but 
and I think you've done some of the work with us, but a lot of it is then trying to take those pillars and take that experience and take it into the digital space. And if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah, so, which <laughs> means that if you want to um, go on to um, Chrissy's digital platform, it's very mm. easy, isn't it? Because you just it tap is. in Silver Linings yeah. Wellbeing. You do. Uh, Silver Linings Wellbeing, you head to the digital studio and yep. you can try it for free. Essentially, we teach live. And then you can catch up for 24 hours after that live class. And there's also a huge library of uh, classes, sessions in all kinds of disciplines. And it's not just me. So what I've done is I've gathered what I call my little silver book of experts. And they really are expert in their field. So it might be meditation. It might be nutrition. It might be Pilates. It's not just me teaching that. It's people I think are brilliant. Brilliant teachers, no matter what your level is, no matter your level of experience, And I worked so hard to ensure that people are safe because my biggest concern going into it was, well, how can I, how can I make it safe when I'm not with them? I'm not in the studio. I'm so used to being, as you know, hands-on with my my clients. So I worked hard to sort of create particular ways of working where you can see everything clearly, where the sound is tip top, where you, where you can really feel immersed in a situation that's actually very private because you're at home and the other thing was also to say you don't need an expensive piece of kit you don't need a fancy bike or anything like that you just need a mat and we do the rest we guide you every step of the way safely happily hopefully towards ultimately that goal of feeling like you're in your body you're conscious you're present you're moving mindfully I have to say all Chrissy's teachers are fab, but Chrissy is an exceptional teacher. So if you do, if you do, well, if you are you. interested in taking a class <laughs> online with Chrissy, yes. you won't regret it. And I don't say that about everyone, Chrissy. I really don't. Bless you. Thank it's, you. No, it's kind. the absolute truth. And I just want to talk. I want you to talk a little bit about yeah. your your technique that you're developing, or yeah. have you really? Have you really talked about it already? Because it's no. Mm. Well, no, not really. So, so for years and years and years, I yeah. was a purist and, and, you know, a real purist. So when I'm teaching Pilates, I'm teaching Pilates and I'm doing that as closely to the technique and the things that were handed down to me, the traditions that were literally handed down to me by people who were sort of second generation teachers after Joe Pilates himself. So yeah. I was fortunate enough to have that. With yoga, I started my yogi training, I guess, with my dad at age three. Right. Um, but, you know, again, I tried to be really, really pure and clear on what I'm teaching. And bar, I was fortunate to be there when really bar hit London and it was a huge thing. And I was taught that by, you know, the Americans that kind of brought it here. Um, and used to also go to Lottie Burke actually with my mum, strangely enough. So, Ah. so I sort of had this, I had this, the original, if you like background. So those three things and anything I teach apart from that, you know, was really clearly in its own little box. And then after sort of 20 years of teaching, I finally said, you know what, I think I'm rooted enough in these different disciplines to fuse them together, to find a way to take the things that I know work and kind of create these little movement flows or pods, I think of them as, where I might take a particular focus and I'll draw on that Pilates bar and yogic techniques to find a way to really work them, that muscle group or that that idea and then to also stretch it out and elongate the muscles and open out the body. So you you get intense work, but you also get that wonderful release. 
And this is how I like to work my body. Now, it might not be for everybody, but it's basically that's the fusion. That's the concept. You put lots of, you do post a lot on Instagram, not too much, just enough. <laughs> you, bit, can, yeah. you can see you in action, can't you? And then yeah. if, if I was to, if someone was to go onto your Instagram page and yeah. see you doing a video, then they would go to the digital platform, Yeah, right? then they can head through to the digital platform, exactly. Or head to Silver Linings Wellbeing, where you'll see the retreats and the digital and, and all the kind of other Silver Linings taste, we call it, but the nutrition aspect as well, because we do work with nutritionists who can advise and help. Um, so, so there's a lot of different aspects to what we do and your entry point will depend on where you're at and what you think you need. Ultimately though, we'll guide you towards a more holistic mix of movement, great nutrition, sleep and rest and recovery, such that we hope that you find that perfect mix for the individual because it's not one size fits all, right? No, it isn't. We know that. We all know that. Yeah. Well, those of us who've spent time thinking about it probably know that. Yeah. And so and so we're really there to help find that ideal mix for the individual rather than a sort of top-down version. And also because you've been there and, and done it and mm. done a 180, um, yeah. your approach is as you keep saying, holistic and gentle. It is, it's kind. Kind, it's no, kind. I mean, you are never going to be told to go and stand on a set of scales or measure your waistline or yeah. do any of those things that make you feel uncomfortable. It's within your comfort zone, but, you know, occasionally we'll push the edges in terms of, well, technique or something fun. But ultimately, yeah, very kind, mindful, thoughtful, all those words as we as we want to apply them to your well-being because ultimately that's how you will live a long and happy yeah, 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 yeah. A place of nurture. Yeah. Before before I let you go, what um, I was going to say something there, and I just kind of paused and looked <laughs> out the window. What five, what, five, what five foods would you take to an island? And I know that oh, you know goodness. that this question comes up. But ah, it's, yeah. it's any island, any climate. What, any what island, would you take? any climate. Oh yeah. man. Um, <laughs> I yeah. I'm I'm a salad fiend. We have an expression at home where we say I'm a pig for salad. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm a pig for I actually really love my salads. Me too. Um, with all sorts of things. White asparagus. A okay. personal favourite. I, I yeah. lived in Spain for a long time. I studied flamenco and that wow. was the thing I literally became addicted to. So white asparagus. Okay. Um, really amazing sushi on occasion. I think mm-hmm. I, I, if I was on an island where I could catch some fresh fish. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's your island. That'd be kind of wherever. awesome. Yeah, my island. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, uh, I'm not much of a sort of sweets person, but the occasional piece of really amazing dark chocolate uh-huh. hits the spot. Yeah. How many foods is that? Three. You've got Four. white asparagus, you've got sushi, you've yeah. got chocolate, dark chocolate. Lovely chocolate and my salad. So no, I think that's four. So Salad, yes. Oh, that's number five. Mm. Do you know what? My my grandmother's, it, my grandmother's cake, which has dark chocolate on top and then this sort of base, and she survived the war in Norway uh, where they didn't have many ingredients left. So the secret ingredient in this cake is potato, but oh. you never know it. So it's this really delicious, quite kind of thin cake with then a thin dark chocolate topping on it. And it is absolutely delicious. Oh, that's um, perfect. Anyone who'd like the recipe, I might just share it. If you like. <laughs> <laughs> but, it's, but it's, yeah, it's the best. Oh, that's just <laughs> lovely. That's lo- I love it when people finish with an anecdote and you're like, oh, this is so personal. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Chrissy, thank you so much for coming on to Love This Food Thing podcast. It's been an absolute, absolute joy. Thank you. Thank, thank you for you. having me. My pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Love This Food Thing. If you'd like to reach me, I'm on Instagram at Love This Food Thing. 
or you can head to our website, lovethisfoodthing.com. Join our community. Everyone's welcome. Catch you in the next episode.